You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Today, we're going to begin a new series uh, from the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8 in particular. And uh, uh, we actually, I, I realized I had kind of had some direction uh, for doing this series in the month of May as I was praying for, for our church and, and what God would uh, have us dive into together and uh, didn't realize I'd end up spending the opening verse of our entire last series would be from Romans 8. But uh, I just think we're, we're gonna really glean a lot from this. And I believe it can be life transforming. Our series title comes from a verse towards the end of the chapter, More Than Conquerors. Uh, and for me, this is something that's absolutely essential. As a believer, you're not just meant to survive. You're not meant to just be, as I mentioned last week, living in God's waiting room and, uh, until we get to heaven. Uh, that the church is meant to be equipped, called, walking in the purpose of God. Church should be a few things. I talk about this in the next steps. Church should be a spiritual hospital a place where anyone who's far from God, who's hurting, who's broken, who's lost, who's bound, can find freedom in Jesus. Can I just speak to some people that have been saved long enough to forget what it was like when they encountered Jesus? There's gonna be some people that have some messes around us. Are, are you with me? There's, there's gonna be some people that are hurting, they're gonna show up to church. There's gonna be people that, that, that don't talk like you and sound like you and have some issues that maybe you've never had before. But, but I love that church can be a spiritual hospital for the hurting and the broken. And, and, and we don't say, well, I'm gonna get better before I go to the doctor. No, when you're in need, you go to where you find help. And that's what the church should be for every single person. Church is also family. Church is, is meant to be a family. We're adopted, brought into the family of God. We'll talk about that more later in this series. But it's also boot camp where we get equipped for life to take God's word and apply it in such a way that we become not just survivors, but overcomers, more than conquerors, that we walk in the purpose of God and we fulfill the mission for which we're born. And so as we look at this series, I believe we're going to, uh, hopefully it's gonna maybe challenge some things that are holding you back. And uh, the message titled today, and, and all of our message titles are gonna come from a declaration based on one of these verses. Today's is this, if you're taking notes, I am free, I am free. Let's read together Romans chapter eight. We'll put it on the screen. Romans eight, verse one says this, there is therefore now, everybody say now. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. Aren't you glad for that? You've been made free in Jesus. If you haven't experienced that, you can today, now, right here and now. He has made me free from the law or the principle of sin and death. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on the account of sin. He condemns sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. A couple more verses from the end, verse 33 and 34. In light of all these things, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Two 
words there repeated or, or that they're connected is this word of condemnation. First, it says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And then in verse 33, it says, who shall condemn us? Uh, we're gonna target and go after this issue of condemnation today. And, and uh, let me just say, you may be tempted if you've been a believer for any length of time to think, well, this is just for new Christians. This is just for people that don't know Jesus yet, that need to experience forgiveness and, and salvation. But I believe that if there's one thing that's keeping people from walking in their God-given purpose, if, if there's one thing that's keeping people from praying, from getting in God's word, from growing in their faith, from getting in community like we talked about, in groups, around a family, that if there's one thing that's keeping people from doing that, it's this thing, it's condemnation. It's the lie of condemnation. I, I can, as a preacher, and I do often tell you how important it is to pray, to seek the face of God, to worship, to, 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 to get in God's word and apply the truth of God's word. But here's what I know. If you live in the persistent grip of condemnation in your life, you will not want to draw near to God. And even if you do pray or you do get in the word, you'll have thoughts like this. Well, I didn't pray enough. I didn't read enough. And rather than your relationship with God being life transforming, setting you free, it will be filled with what God never intended us to be filled with. It would be filled with shame, filled with guilt and feeling like we'll never be enough. We'll never be able to do what he's created us for. And if I can give you some context, there's a few words that we're gonna kind of take as a framework today. And it's from this first verse in Romans 8, verse one. The very first one is, therefore. And as the old preachers always say, you gotta see what is there for. When you read that verse, you look at what's there, what's that verse there for? And so we can go back to the very chapter before this. In fact, Romans 8 is kind of like a mountain peak in the midst of one of the most powerful books in the most powerful book in the world. In the middle of Romans, that's considered by most scholars to be like the, the, the pinnacle of the Apostle Paul's teaching of the gospel. There's this mountain point in Romans 8 that, that everything else leads up to. And everything from that point in Romans flows from it. And it's right in this place where he makes this statement that there is therefore now no condemnation. If you look at chapter seven, you see a battle that is going on inside the heart of somebody who is feeling the draw to, to live for God, to honor God, but at the same time finding they don't have the ability to walk it out. Have you ever felt like that? Like, I wanna do the right thing. I wanna live for God. I wanna follow what I'm, I'm told to do, uh, what God's word would call me to do, or maybe just trying to be a good person. And, and what we find out is that there's a con confliction. In, Ro in Romans 7, Paul describes it this way. I, there's good I wanna do, but there's also another principle at work in my life that's actually bent towards evil. And the good that I want to do, I don't do. Good intentions... Can, can seem helpful. But have you ever had somebody intend to help you and not show up? They, they intend to do the right thing. They intend to help you move your house. Anybody who owns a truck in here, you know what, what that's like. If you own a truck, you get invited to help everybody move. That's by default. They didn't tell you that when you bought the truck. 
But, but here's, here's what happens is that we have good intentions, but it's in the execution, it's in the application that we feel like we fall short. And apart from Christ, we can't. But I love this statement in Romans 7, verse 19, he says, for the good that I want to do, uh, for I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. There's places in our life many times that we feel stuck incapable of overcoming, incapable of dealing with it. And the sad thing is religion tells you you'll never be free. Religion says, well, that's just the way it is until you go to heaven one day. That's just the way it is. You're just gonna struggle with that thing. You're just gonna be defined by that thing. You're just a poor, broken sinner. And the, the, the sad, the, the, here, here's, here's what, do you know in the New Testament, the Bible describes a couple times as a believer using that term sinner, but most often uses the term saint. How many of us would describe ourselves like that? Like we think a saint is somebody on a glass window with a halo over their head. And I don't have a halo until I have coffee at least. <laughs> and probably not at all. But, 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 but the Bible describes you as a saint because of Jesus. Watch what he says in the next verse, uh, next couple of verses, verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me? Who will save me? Who will set me free? Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Who delivers me? Not he might, he could someday. One day in the sweet by and by, he delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. I wonder if what you think is permanent, God says is temporary. What you think is impossible, God says is possible through Jesus. I'm not talking about through our ability, through our feelings and our emotions and, and looking inward. In fact, that's the problem is the world tells you look inward. But when I look inward, you know what I come up with? It's like jumping in a pool. I jump into that pool of introspection and I always come out wet with condemnation. Because I go into the pool thinking what I'm gonna find is perfection. But then I find I don't measure up to other people. There is therefore now no condemnation. Beautiful picture of what it means to be forgiven, what it means to be set free is in 2 Samuel 9. If we can put that on the screen, 2 Samuel 9, it's a familiar story for us, but uh, I love this story. I think it's one of the most beautiful pictures of redemption in the entire Bible. And it's a story of David, who's now king. We're gonna talk about David a couple times today, but David is king. Long after he's killed Goliath, long after he's escaped Saul, the previous king who tried to kill him, uh, David has become king. And one day he's thinking back on his past and he's thinking back on his relationships and his best friend in the whole world is now dead, but he looks back on his friend. His friend was Jonathan. It was Saul's son. And at one point they made a covenant like brothers, they said, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be there for you. I'm gonna fight for you. I'm gonna stand with you. Everybody needs somebody like that in their life. They said, I'm gonna pray you. I'm gonna pray with you through the storm. I'm gonna lift you when you're down. I'm not gonna kick you when you're down. I'm gonna encourage you. I'm gonna point you to Jesus. And, 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 and David and, and Jonathan were like that. Well, now Jonathan, who's like a brother to him, is dead. And David, who's now king, who's now experienced victory, who's now overcome, says, is there somebody I can show kindness to on behalf of Jonathan? Is there anybody left in his family? Is there anybody still alive? And, and one of his servants comes to him and says, David, there is one. He's got one child left, but this, he's, well, how do I say this, David? Um, he might not be worth the time. Isn't it sad how people misjudge? 
Here's what it says. There's still a son of Jonathan who's lame in his feet. So the king says, where is he? Indeed, he's in the house of Machir and the son of, uh, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. And David sends for him, King David, and brought him out of the house of Machir. Now in Mephibosheth, which is, by the way, the hardest name to pronounce in the entire Bible. It's even harder to preach. But when Mephibosheth, <laughs> the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face, prostrated himself, laid across the ground, and he said, David, or David said to him, Mephibosheth, he says by name, and he answered, here's your servant. David says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm gonna surely show you kindness. Can I just say what was the, the pattern of all human history was that when one king took the place of another king from a different family, different line, usually they killed all the descendants of the other king. And so he's probably like, uh-oh, like this is it. And he says, don't be afraid. I'm gonna surely show kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you will eat bread at my table continually. What a beautiful picture. He, he takes a, a prince and if you don't know his story, Mephibosheth is actually, the reason he's lame in his feet is when he was five years old, when word came that Jonathan, his father, was dead, his nurse picked him up, ran out of the house, and dropped him. And when she dropped him, she injured him. She crippled him and left him in a place where he was unable to walk. And that could have been the end of his story. In fact, he ends up in a place called Lodabar, which means a dry, waterless wasteland, a place of slavery. In another uh, version or translation, or Machir means to sell into slavery. So here's the picture. Mephibosheth is a prince, a son of a prince. He's a grandson of a king. And yet he's living as a slave. He's living defined by his greatest pain. And when David calls for him, I want you to see his response. If we could put those next two verses up. Watch what David says. He says, I'm gonna restore you. I'm going to put you back at the, I'm gonna give you everything that was taken from you. But not only that, I'm gonna cause you to eat at the king's table like one of my sons. Go to the next verse, verse eight. Watch what it says. This is his response. And this is the response of anybody who only lives their life through the lens of condemnation. He's a prince. He's a wounded prince, but he's a prince. His identity, his worth is not from his condition, but who he's, whose son he is. Watch what he says. What is your servant, verse eight, that you should look on such a dead dog as I? And David does something I believe God does when he redeems us in Jesus, the king calls to his other servant. Doesn't even respond to, doesn't respond to Mephibosheth. He doesn't try to like help him with his self-esteem or his self-image. He, he, he gives him something far greater. He says, I've given to your master's son all that belong to Saul and all to his house. You therefore, you and your sons, he tells his servant, work the land for him and you're gonna bring in the harvest so that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. What's he saying? He doesn't even respond to Mephibosheth's statement, I'm just a dead dog. I'm just broken. I'm just wounded. I'm just forsaken. I'm just a slave. I'm nothing but a poor servant. That's how he sees himself. And yet David calls to something and says, no, no, that's not who you are. You're going to now for the rest of your life, eat at my table. 
as one of my sons. Do you know what Jesus did for us? Do you know what redemption paid the price for? We were orphaned by sin. And God looked from all eternity in heaven and said, who shall I show kindness on behalf of my son who died in their place? And he looks at you and me and he redeems us, rescues us and invites us to pull up a chair at the father's table to the greatest buffet in all of human history. Come on, church. Are you awake in the house? Do you know what Jesus has done for you? I know we're so used to singing the songs and reading the stories that we forget we're at the table. And when you forget you're invited to the table, if you don't know what's available for you, you'll live like, st like you're still an orphan. Oh God, if you can do anything. Oh God, if you could maybe help me. I know I'm messed up. I know my past is messed up. Maybe you could hopefully, and here's what most people, here's my experience. It's easier for people to pray for somebody else than pray for themselves. Because we don't know them, we know us. <laughs> and I believe the reason for that is this issue of condemnation. Let's go back to Romans 8.1. He says, now, there is therefore now, now, in this moment, not someday, not one day when we get to the sweet by and by, and that's how many people live their lives even in the church. We go, well, I hope I'm saved. I hope I go to heaven. I hope I'm forgiven. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I don't have assurance. I don't have confidence. And it's because we, we, we measure our salvation based on our own goodness instead of the work of Jesus. And if we've never heard, that's why it's so important. It's the saddest thing to me that somebody can go their whole lives in church and not meet God. That people can go their whole life and have a potluck, but not a savior. A program, but not freedom. Invited to the Father's table. Do you know what the church's job is to be? Tell the Mephibosheths of our family, of our community, of our neighborhood, of our job and our workplace to say, hey, there's a seat at the table for you. Can I, can I just speak to something that I, I hope gets ingrained in us as a church. We're only three years old as a church, but this should be a defining thing for us from, from the moment we've been here to the rest of uh, the, however God has River City Church on planet earth to reach North Iowa. I just want to tell you this, that we should be a people that make room for other people. We should never be a church that goes, me first. But what about the one that needs to be at the table with me? What about the one that we need to pull up a seat for, that we need to invite? Well, they just took my parking space. <laughs> they just took my seat. Someone's sitting in my seat. Like, I, I don't know how it's possible, but we always have a seat. <laughs> but now, he wants to do something now, not some indefinite moment in the future. You can find Jesus now. You can be free now. You can be healed now. You can experience joy now. Like now, this is the moment to be free from condemnation. What Jesus did then paid the price for now. And it has an effect into eternity. Not someday, but today. The Bible says it this way, today's the day of salvation. This can be a reality today. So whatever has kept you bound, maybe like Mephibosheth, your view of your life is so skewed through the lens of your own trauma and pain, your own failure, your own sin, your own uh, wilderness, your own self-image, whatever it is, whatever's keeping you from drawing near to God. I like to say like this, don't run from God, run to him. Today, there's no condemnation 
There's no condemnation. What is condemnation? Well, condemnation is the lie. Condemnation itself, just, just the word itself means to be condemned as guilty. Now, there's, I think, I got three points for you today. Number one is this. When it comes to the issue of condemnation, we need to recognize who the source is. Who's the source? Who's the source? If, if, if God's word says there is therefore now no condemnation, well, here's three, I believe, three primary, if not, these are the voices of condemnation in our lives. Number one is I condemn myself. None of you ever do that? Just me? Okay. I condemn myself. I don't even need there to be a devil to mess my life up. Like, I, I can do that all by myself. I can, I can get into a bad place real quick. And, and, and so when we condemn ourselves, what did Romans 8.34 say at the very end of the chapter? It says, who is he who condemns? Do you know the answer to that question? I know it's a rhetorical question, but there is an answer we often come up with, and it starts with us. I think some people feel wrong for so long, they don't know how to feel right. We're so used to and conditioned by, by, by shame, by guilt, by condemnation that we don't even know what it's like to take a breath of fresh air and forgiveness. True freedom. We don't feel right if we're not feeling wrong. And I, I just wanna deal with that for a second because maybe that's you. Like right now, if you were honest with yourself, it's that voice that sounds just like you. <laughs> that tells you why you can't draw near to God, why you can't grow, why you can't be free. You look at your own past, your own life. We are our best archeologists. We dig up stuff. Oh, but that, it's not just us. Because the second thing that condemns us, the second voice that condemns us is the voice of others. Others condemn us, other people. I, I don't know if you've ever had somebody in your life that wants to continually remind you of who you used to be what you used to do. Man, why won't you go out like we used to go out together? You used to be so much fun. Now you're boring. No, no, you're just living for something that's worth more. Like, like you realize, why would I stay in Lodabar when there's a seat at the table? <laughs> and there's those people around us. And I think, you know, obviously it's, it's, it can be even more so in a, Small town, you grew up around family, you grew up around people, and there's always people maybe from your past or a part of your life that, that they just continually decide their mission in life is, I'm gonna bring up who you used to be. Because people are experts at categorizing others. And we usually don't categorize them by their best, we categorize those that we know by their worst. I mean, we categorize our heroes and our celebrities and those people by their best, but the people closest to us, we go, no, no, you're the person with that issue. You're the person with that problem. You're the person with that failure and that mistake. And we define people by the worst moment. So we got to deal with those two things. First, the voice, our own voice that condemns us. And, and, and how, do we, how do we often find that? I think it comes from what I said earlier, that we look inwardly instead of upward. We look in instead of up. We look at ourselves. Do you know what happens when I look at myself? I find condemnation. When I look up, I worship. Oh, you, you didn't hear that, church. I'm sorry. I may have to just say it over here to these guys. Uh, when I look inwardly, I have shame and condemnation. But when I look up, I worship. 
Oh, but there's a third voice. Did you know that? There's actually a third voice. The Bible calls him the accuser, Satan. Satan's name means accuser. And he's the accuser of the brethren, the church, you and me. And his, the devil has, he's actually bilingual, if you didn't know that. He's bilingual and his first language is lying. And so what he says is always either completely a lie or enough of a lie to deceive and to destroy. And the voice of the enemy to the believer is you're condemned. And the voice of condemnation is the voice that says, turn back, go back, you'll never be changed. It's a voice that says, things will never be different. God's done with you. Now you've messed up for the last time. That's condemnation. Do you know the devil's also a liar with those that don't know Jesus? His voice to them is, oh, you're fine. You're good without God. You're not condemned. You're not condemned in sin. Sin isn't a problem. It's just, the, it's, that's just old fashioned. And it's the lie that tells us poison won't kill us. He condemns the believer and he convinces the one that doesn't know Jesus that they're good without God. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Like, it wasn't just in Isaiah's day. I think it's been in every generation. Without God, there's a tendency for us to redefine the nature of what's good and what's evil, what's freeing and what's not freeing. What, and yet, that's why we have the truth of God's word to set us free. The Bible says you'll know the truth and that'll make you free. The devil comes to convince us of a lie. To convince people that they're fine without God. They don't need God. And, and so we think, well, I'll get to heaven because I'm a good person, but nobody will get to heaven because they're a good person. Well, I'm, I'm good because I used all the right hashtags and I had all the right social media posts. I support all the right causes, but the only thing that makes us right with God is what we see in the condition that Romans 8 tells us. And I'll give you that in just a moment. Before we get to there, I want to help define the difference between condemnation and what God brings, which is correction. Number two, if you're taking notes, is God brings conviction. That's a word that the Bible uses. Conviction, or you could say correction. And the accuser, Satan, brings condemnation. So those are two very different things. So, so, so what's condemnation? It's what pulls me from God. What's correction? It's what draws me near to God. See, see as a, we, we think, well, I'll never be changed. In fact, here's how you can recognize the voice of condemnation. Condemnation uses words like always and never. You always do that. You'll never be. And, and then it takes it a step further. This is who you are. That's condemnation. But God's correction is always hopeful. It's always inviting you. It actually comes from the Holy Spirit who leads us, who guides us, who says, there's freedom in Jesus. There's life in Jesus. Why are you settling here when you're called to the table, to the feast? And God's correction comes to free us, not shame us, not hurt us, but it's actually rooted in love. That's why the church has to be really careful that we represent the heart of our God when we walk in the truth of God as well. That we don't use truth to beat people, but to free people in love because Jesus invites all to his table. And there's freedom from sin. There's freedom from shame. There's freedom for us 
But correction's needed. And actually, I think this is important because sometimes we get so religious that we justify. There's two people, there's two kings in Israel's beginning of their history. The first was Saul and Saul was confronted. I'll have the, the team of Roman, you can just put these verses up. We won't have time to go through them in detail. But, but Saul's confronted when he was given a choice. God told him, I have a mission for you. You're gonna destroy the Malachites who are the enemies of God's people and you're gonna destroy them and I want you to, to, to not keep anything for yourself. Well, if you know the story, Saul keeps back the, back the best for himself. And Samuel comes to bring correction. Do we have those verses? No. He comes to bring correction and here's what he does. He shows up and Samuel says, why do I hear the bleeding of sheep? Like I'm, I'm hearing like you kept something that God said, give it all. And you kept something. And, and, and Saul goes, well, you know, I was thinking. <laughs> I know God said all, but, but he probably didn't mean all. You ever try to negotiate with God? And, and that's where Saul is. And and, and, and Samuel corrects him. And actually Saul responds with this. Uh, keep going. He makes this statement. He says, I was afraid of what people thought. I, did, I kept back the best because I was afraid of, of what the people would say about what they would do. Yeah, verse 24. I've sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men. So I gave in to them. I gave in to them. So, so here's two things that happen. And, and if you keep on going, here's what he tells Saul, excuse me, Samuel. He says to Samuel, who's a picture of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, when the Holy Spirit comes to bring correction and say, hey, this is what God's calling you to do. And, and Saul recognizes, he actually says the words, I've sinned. But you know what he's, he's basically saying is, you caught me, busted, I'm sorry, because I was caught. And he ends with this statement, and it's the last verse on the notes. He tells Samuel, he says, hey, um, I've sinned, but can you go and honor me in front of my, honor me in front of my leaders? Like, what's in this guy's head? I wanna show you a contrast, because this makes a little bit more sense when you look at David, who comparatively did something so much worse. In human estimation, like David did something so much worse than what Saul did. And God told Saul, I'm taking the kingdom from you because of what Saul did here. And then David comes along and one day he sees a, a beautiful girl named Bathsheba, finds out she's married, not a problem for David. He goes, let's take care of the guy, Godfather style. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if you know the story, it's the greatest failure of David's life. David's confronted because of his sin. And David's response is recorded in Psalm 51. David says the same words, but with a very different heart. He says, I've sinned. And you know what Psalm 51 tells us? This is David's response because he saw what happened in Saul's life and Saul's concern is what people thought of him. So when God brought correction, he was more worried about what people would say, what people thought. And so that's why Saul wasn't changed. That's why Saul didn't get free. That's why God couldn't restore Saul because what he had is what the New Testament calls worldly sorrow. I'm sorry because I'm caught. <laughs> you know what David says? God, against you and you only I've sinned. If you look at the story, like David sinned against a few people but he recognizes that his sin wasn't just against people, it was against God himself. And he says, God, forgive me. Don't take your spear from me. What's David's concern? God, 
not what people think. He says, I care what you think. God, I, I don't wanna live without you. I don't wanna live without relationship with you. I wanna know you. And David's cry is a cry that God met with such amazing forgiveness and redemption that David's throne would endure forever. Saul's wouldn't endure past his lifetime. So what's the point? The point is how we respond to God's correction matters. What people think is far less important than what God thinks. But God wants us free. God wants us whole. God wants us to experience life in him. And number three, I told you I'd give you the condition. This is the condition of no condemnation. The condition is not religious activity. It's actually found in that very statement, Romans 8.1. Jason, in a moment, I'll have you come if you want to get ready. The condition is your position, if you're taking notes. The condition is your position. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are, here's the condition, in Christ. Paul would use this phrase 216 times in the New Testament. 216 times Paul would say something like this, in Christ, in him, in Jesus. We have redemption, we have forgiveness. What's the point? If I, put a, if I put something in a letter and I mail that, or I put a letter in an envelope and I mail that envelope to Arizona, the envelope carries the contents and what's in the envelope arrives at the destination, not because that letter is capable, but because the envelope was capable. And you and I arrive in heaven one day. You and I are saved, set free. There's no condemnation, not because we earned it, but because he places you in Christ Jesus. So that God no longer just looks at you, he looks at his son. He looks at the cross. He looks at redemption and salvation. Paul would say this, Philippians 3, for we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ, and have no confidence in the flesh. He says, he goes on and he lists a bunch of things. He says, hey, I might have confidence. I did all this stuff. And there's lots of reasons why people say, well, I'm, I'm gonna go to heaven because I, I took communion. I, I took a class, I joined a church. My parents baptized me. Whatever the reason is, like we have all kinds of reasonings, but the only condition that brings us to no condemnation is being in Christ. Do you know, can I, can I just say this before we go? Every religion on planet earth is based in man's attempt to do something. In Judaism, it's to fulfill God's law. In Islam, it's to uphold the tenets of, of, of God and get to a place where one day you're judged and hopefully the good outweighs the bad and if God wills, then you'll, be, you'll enter paradise. In Buddhism, it's to live a life that has, has a release from suffering but it's still based on your efforts. In, in, in the new age, it's to be one with the universe. Like I'm gonna do things to, to get in line with, and, and everything is us based, but, 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 but here's the good news of the Bible. Here's what the Bible tells us, that God came down to rescue the broken that I couldn't save myself. I couldn't fix myself. I couldn't solve my issues. I couldn't change me. And I could never pay the price. Do you know there's one thing that's gonna happen for every single person in this room, every single person alive on planet earth is one day we're gonna stand before God. 
And this is a serious thought. There's not gonna be any of the other people that their opinions mattered so much then. Remember in high school when you really cared what people thought about you? And now you're like, I don't remember their name. Because time gives perspective. Can I just tell you, eternity will give a whole other perspective. That the things that used to be a big deal weren't really that big of a deal in light of eternity. And the issue is gonna come down to this very one thing. Will I pay for my sins? Or did I receive Jesus to be the payment for my sins? There's actually gonna be people one day that are gonna come before God. Matthew 7 tells us they're gonna say, well, Lord, I I did some stuff for you. I, I, I did this, I did that. And they go through the list and he says, I don't know you. I don't know you. And it's being in Christ that's the condition. But what's beautiful about that is it's available to be in Christ for every single one of us. I I love this story in the Bible where a woman is caught in her biggest failure in her life. She's brought before Jesus. And the religious crowd says to Jesus, Moses' law says she should be condemned. What do you say, Jesus? And while she's brought to him, he stoops down and writes in the ground. The Bible doesn't tell us what he wrote. There's all kinds of thoughts, what he did. But then he gets up and he says, he who is without sin, you cast the first stone. And it says from the oldest to the youngest, they start dropping the rocks that they were gonna use to kill this woman. Because when you're young, you think you can outrun your issues. And then after you get old enough, you realize, no, I can't outrun it. (laughs) I know me. And they dropped the stones one by one and the crowd began to leave. And it was just this woman and Jesus. And at the end of the day, it's just us and Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. It's just you and Jesus. And this woman looks up to him wondering, is he gonna be the one that will condemn me? Jesus says, where's your accusers? Where'd they go? All those voices and all those words and all those statements of accusation, where'd they go? She says, they're all gone. They're all gone. And he says, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. What a beautiful statement from Jesus himself. The only one who was justified because he was without sin. He said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. And then the very next statement he makes is, he says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world and those that walk with me don't walk in darkness but have the light of life. Do you know what it is to live with no condemnation? It's to live in the light. It's to live without anything hidden, anything buried. There's people who make all the money in the world but they can't sleep at night because their conscience is covered and buried with the burden of their, their choices and their sin but there's freedom in Jesus. Maybe you're What right now you're dealing with is keeping you from from going to God's word, going to prayer. You think, I can't pray because of what I've done. No, no, let's let's go to God because there's no condemnation in Christ. Would you stand to your feet? I wanna pray with you today. I'm gonna ask our team to come up to the front. We'll dismiss in just a moment. But I wanna ask you a very important question. And the answer many people have is, 
Well, yeah, I, I went to church. <laughs> yeah, I did certain activities. I, but, but, but the question I want to ask you is, do you know Jesus? Because anybody can know about him, but the only thing that places us in Christ is, is a relationship with Jesus. You say, God, I need you. And I'm, I, I want to lead you in a very simple prayer right now. I'm asking you to bow your heads and close your eyes in this room, all over this room. If you're in here and you say, you know what, Brian, I don't have a relationship with God like you're talking about. I, I don't know that if I died today, I'd go to heaven. I don't, I don't have that confidence, that peace, that assurance. I, I don't know. I don't know God like you're talking about. Maybe right now what you've thought of in your relationship with God or, or your idea of God has made you so afraid that you've wanted to run from God thought, I've got to fix me before I come to him. No, no, no. You come to God with all of your mess, all of your brokenness, all of your sin, all of your failure, and give it to Jesus. Just like that woman at the lowest place of her entire life, she said, all the accusers are gone. There is forgiveness and freedom in Jesus right here and now. There is freedom from all condemnation. I wanna pray for two people in this room today. First, if you're in here and you say, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you've had one, but you, you know you need to come back to God. You need to rededicate your life to Jesus. I came to a place in, in 2003 where the, the direction I was running in my life was leaving me empty, was leaving me broken, was taking me down a road, and I knew I was at a crossroads, and I, I knew God was calling me to know him. And maybe that's where you're at right now. God's inviting you to freedom, to life. If you're in here and you've never said yes to Jesus or you've, it's, you've had a disconnect and you say, I need to come back to God. If either of those are for you, I want you right where you're at to raise your hand. Say, that's me, Brian. Would you pray with me? Thank you. Anybody else? Say, that's me. I need, I need Jesus in my life. I'm gonna ask you to pray this with me. I'm gonna ask every believer in here, pray this with me. Say, Jesus forgive me of my sins be my savior be lord of my life today I surrender my life to you today I receive your forgiveness I am forgiven because of Jesus I am free because of Jesus thank you for loving me and I'll follow you all the days of my life in Jesus' name, amen. Before you open your eyes, keep them bowed for just a moment. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're in here and you say, you know what, Brian? I've been battling with shame and condemnation. I'm a Christian. I've been following Jesus. But I've been listening to one of those three voices. And it's been keeping me from, from growing, keeping me from drawing near to God, keeping me from getting in his word, keeping me from praying in confidence and faith. I know me and I'm listening to that voice but today I want freedom I want to pray with you because today I believe it's your day of freedom from condemnation because of Jesus because you're in Christ if that's you just lift your hand to God say God I need freedom from shame and condemnation that's me thank you God, today is their day of freedom. 
today is their day of restored joy. Today is their day to walk in their God-given purpose. Today is their day to be free because of Jesus. There is, listen to me, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. When you fail, run to Jesus. Listen to his correction, his word that'll transform us and make us like Jesus. But that lie of condemnation that says you always and you never and this is who you are, no, no, that's a lie from hell. You're forgiven. You're a saint. You're a child of God. You have a seat at the table. In Jesus' name. If you need prayer today for any area, we would love to pray with you. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Thank you for being here today. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.